Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Today's big macro event for the Asia Pacific region arguably was the release of China's first quarter GDP figures, which, while it surprised to the upside, still showed signs that the world's second largest economy might be slowing down. And there's still a lot of uncertainties, especially linked to the recent lockdowns across for certain uh, China, major cities across mainland China that could also weigh on further economic outlook for mainland China. Today on Monday FM 89.3, to help us parse through the numbers, we are joined by Tommy Wu, the lead economist for Oxford Economics, who joins us all the way from Hong Kong to talk about these numbers and how they stacked up against his expectations. Tommy, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you and your loved ones are still safe and in good health during these uncertain times. And welcome back to the show, sir. I hope you're having a decent day out in Hong Kong, at least. Thank you very much for having me again. Uh, Yes, um, it's, you know, Uh, It's all right. (laughs) Yeah, it is what it is, I guess, as we were saying before the start of the interview. Well, look, Tommy, I'll get straight into it. China's first quarter GDP figures coming out, and it did surprise the upside. I believe it's 4.8 percent higher than the consensus estimate across economists surveyed, uh, which might include you and your peers. I'd like to get your initial reactions to the numbers and whether or not this 4.8 percent reading surprised or came below your own expectations. I do think that the GDP number came out to be an upside surprise to me. Um, to me, I think it really reflects uh, the robust uh, official data for January, February, mm-hmm. uh, ahead of the economic weakening in March. Uh, if we look at the monthly data, which I found more meaningful, uh, we can see that there is a uh, broad-based uh, uh, slowing in terms of economic activities, especially retail sales, which actually contracted on the year. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody also, Tommy, was looking for how big an impact some of those localized lockdowns to control COVID in places like Shanghai currently and Shenzhen had on the economy. And I also want to be cognizant of the fact that Hong Kong itself is still going through certain uh, forms of restrictions that just might ease in the next couple of days. But just how much of the slowdown can be attributed to these uh, lockdowns we're seeing in parts of mainland China and maybe even Hong Kong? Um, Yeah, as I've mentioned, uh, March activity uh, data in China uh, we're down, especially uh, retail sales. I think that has to do with uh, all these localized lockdowns uh, in, in Shenzhen for a week and then followed by Shanghai and also in Jilin and also other parts of the country, uh, which I think uh, will have a bigger impact on, say, services and household consumption. But they also affect uh, industrial production and supply chains because uh, not only that, uh, uh, you know, there, we've seen lockdowns in cities, but also highway controls. Uh, to prevent spread of uh, COVID across cities and provinces are having an impact on logistics. And that will have def- definitely have an impact on the production side of things, uh, especially in April. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting you mentioned a while ago that you're putting a bit more focus actually on the monthly uh, macro data coming out of China. And, it, and you're right. There's, a, there's some very interesting trends here. I just want to run this by our listeners here. Uh, for the month of March, I believe industrial production growing by 5% above what economists were expecting. Um, Fixed asset investment also surprising to the upside by growing by 9.3%. But as you mentioned, retail sales actually surprising to the downside and worse than expected, retail sales falling by 3.5%. Now, Tommy, I believe we've spoken about this in the past, actually, that prior to the pandemic, China was on this uh, task or path to try and rebalance the economy away from industrial 
um, factors driving growth towards something that's more um, uh, a more internally driven, like say consumption. But today we're seeing. That industrial production and fixed asset investments once again driving the economy and perhaps sh- signaling a reversal of that hope that we could rebalance the world's second largest economy. Do you think that this is a sign of that very uh, of that very thing that perhaps China might be going back to the old uh, levers in their playbook that worked for them in the past as they try to keep the slowdown from slowing down even more? Um, I think so, at least uh, temporarily, because uh, uh, China. Does have a official growth target of around 5.5 percent of GDP growth this year. It will be very challenging to meet, uh, given um, you know the challenging external environment and particularly uh, the domestic environment, given uh, the Omicron outbreaks and uh, the zero COVID approach. So uh, the Chinese government is sticking to the old playbook uh, by. Uh, boosting infrastructure spending uh, to to support growth, uh, which is actually uh, what's being indicated by uh, the data today uh, that uh, uh, fixed asset investment, mainly supported by infrastructure spending, uh, is picking up. Mm-hmm. Now, I think one of the big questions also, Tommy, given how big China's economy is and how important it is in the region, um, is the impact it will have on other economies, including Singapore. If the world's second largest economy and arguably Asia's most important does hit the brakes, what kind of effect will this actually have on regional economies and markets? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Actually, uh, before I get into that, let me clarify one point. Sure. Uh, I said that fixed asset investment actually uh, increased, uh, but actually on the month, uh, the, the year-on-year growth has actually declined from, uh, bef- uh, from, from January, February. It's just yeah, that in, in, in March, um, uh, the infrastructure spending has increased. But this has an implication to uh, 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 you know, the demand for goods in in uh, Asia as well. So if if the for Asian countries that actually export things that are related to China's uh, infrastructure uh, investment, uh, perhaps commodities, uh, that kind of uh, products, uh, they will benefit. Whereas uh, for countries that uh, has very close ties with China uh, in terms of uh, electronics uh, or supplying China with machinery and equipment inputs, Uh, say, South Korea, Taiwan, Vietnam, Japan, I think these countries will likely uh, to uh, see some impact coming from the China slowdown. Mm -hmm. We are still speaking to uh, Tommy Wu, lead economist for Oxford Economics here in Money FM 89.3. And we're talking about China's first quarter GDP figures, which, while it surprised the upside, still showed signs that the world's second largest economy is slowing down. Tommy, what about Singapore? What kind of links might the slowdown actually have? And is this cause for concern for, say, a Singaporean economy that is trying to rebound and reopen after really being under the gun with regards to COVID-19? Um, I think the main impact is through uh, supply chains uh, because uh, with China's uh, own supply chain disruptions, it would definitely affect uh, Asian countries and also uh, the fact that Singapore is a Is a is a small open economy. It depends a lot on uh, you know export supply chains. If there's a disruption in China, it will definitely affect uh, the whole Asia supply chain, including Singapore. Um, I think in other aspects, though, say travel, for instance, I, because Ch- China is still uh, maintaining maintaining its zero COVID approach. So I don't think uh, you know Singapore could benefit much from from China in in terms of say you know travel or other kind of uh, services uh, demand. 
Mm-hmm. And indeed, you know, Chinese uh, travelers and tourists are arguably the most important now in the world, especially for a lot of these countries like Singapore and, and Southeast Asia that depend on uh, these tourism inflows coming back. It might be a while before we see that actually uh, return to normal. Um, Tommy, let's talk about inflation now, because it's also an issue that some parts of China are facing at the moment. But when you look at the the inflation story in China, it's a bit different from, say, it's quite different, actually, as compared to most other places. And and we do see that while consumer prices are inching up a little bit, it's really factory-gate inflation that's actually risen. Could you talk to us about why there is such a disparity now between producer prices and consumer prices in China? It seems to be unique to the mainland, as far as I can tell. Um, It is indeed unique to uh, mainland China. Um, Actually, throughout the uh, historical data, uh, the the producer prices and consumer prices actually uh, are not really all that correlated. Um, First of all, uh, at least for this time around, the pass-through of upstream producer prices, uh, mainly commodity-driven, the pass-through of these prices to downstream producer prices has actually been very limited. Hmm. Uh, so what, what, what this is indicating is downstream companies are actually squeezing their profits instead of passing them through to their customers, uh, even just at the production or wholesale level, uh, before reaching the uh, retail consumer level. So this is, uh, you know, this is mainly because, I, th- my, I think it's because of the competitiveness of the market within China. And also this explains, largely explains why there's, a, there's such a disconnect between Uh, producer and consumer price inflation. Mm-hmm. So basically what you're saying that is that uh, they're not able to pass on these rising price pressures to consumers because of how competitive it is, and uh, that's what's facing a lot of firms, both large and small, in uh, China. Uh, that, that's right. Um, yeah, even, even if it gets to the consumer level, even at, you know, uh, within the supply chains itself, mm-hmm. uh, when companies within the downstream are passing down to other companies, Uh, it's actually very difficult because of the competition uh, in various industries. Very interesting indeed. Now, uh, a lot of this also, I think, will be connected to some of the stimulus measures that Beijing will be rolling out because of the slower... Um, uh, you know, the, uh, the, um, the slowdown, at least in China's economy. Now, there's a lot of expectations that Beijing will possibly lower the loan prime rate in the middle of this week. And we did hear recently that they did trim the triple R reserve requirement ratio as well. But the question, Tommy, is could the additional stimulus by Beijing perhaps even boost inflationary pressures? Because this is in some ways an easing of monetary policy, isn't it? Well, it is. Uh, but uh, I don't think at the moment the monetary easing... Uh, will contribute a lot to inflationary pressures, uh, given that uh, demand is weak and also a lot of the producer price inflation that we've just talked about uh, is basically commodity price driven uh, because we've seen uh, a surge in global commodity prices and and these prices still remain elevated and that's uh, partly contribute to uh, you know producer price inflation in China. Whereas for uh, uh, consumer prices. Uh, they're still uh, relatively subdued at uh, 1.5% in, in March uh, because if we look at, say, core inflation, it's still only 1.1% because of the weak demand. So uh, monetary easing is unlikely to cause uh, a tremendous inflationary pressure at the moment. And also, uh, if the money actually gets into, say, you know, speculative activities on commodities, uh, from past experience, we can see that the government If if they deem these transactions to be excessive or unreasonable, 
they'll they'll come in and crack down on these uh, activities uh, to tame commodity prices. So, so that's why I think um, monetary easing by itself it's probably not likely to drive inflation in China. Fair enough. So, Tommy, just to wrap things up, um, uh, you know, if if a stimulus and a possible slowdown in China is on the cards, how is this uh, uh, shaping your outlook for the Chinese yuan now? What's the what does the future hold in store, perhaps, for the renminbi? Um, because of the policy divergence between China and the U.S. and pretty much the rest of the world, uh, I expect a mild depreciation of the Chinese yuan, uh, uh, especially against the U.S. dollar this year. Um, this has to, in part, uh, to, to do with uh, the narrowing of the yield spread between China and the U.S. Uh, and also, I think, uh, another supporting factor that that was there before is the size of the current account surplus that China has. I think this will shrink uh, over the course of the year because of slower export growth uh, after an exceptional uh, year last year. And this doesn't bode well for the Chinese yuan. But having said that, um, uh, the PBOC prefers a, a stable yuan or a slightly weaker yuan. So I don't think uh, it wants an excessively weak yuan. Uh, so I think uh, I expect some weakening of the Chinese yuan, but then it will probably be range bound. Mm-hmm. Would you have any idea, um, any uh, you know, uh, guess on what that range might be or forecast? Um, I would think it's uh, perhaps some, somewhere uh, between you know six point three six one four to six point six. Mm, okay, fair enough. Okay, Tommy Wu, lead economist from Oxford Economics. Thank you so much for joining us today on Money FM 8.3 to help us parse through the recent release of China's GDP figures and what it means for the world's second largest economy and its currency. As always, I wish you and your loved ones continued health and safety during these times. We look forward to the next time you can join us on the show. Meanwhile, stay safe, sir. Thank you. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.